The following is a President's Chapel given by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. For more information about this lecture or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it testifies to your grace and to your Christ. And we pray that as we look into that word, your Holy Spirit will be with us to bless us and to help us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 105. We'll read uh, verses 7 through 22 of Psalm 105. This is God's own word. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Uh, we come now to this section in the Psalm of Praise 105, uh, namely verses 16 through 22. I thought I was going to have greater freedom in preaching, but the Old Testament guys have just come in, so uh, I guess I have to be a little more uh, careful. Um, here we come to the section on, on Joseph as the pioneer. Uh, this is a psalm that praises God generally and then comes to praise God more particularly for the great promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would provide a place for his people that he would provide a place for his people. And last time uh, we looked at the section of this psalm that contains God's promise that God would protect his people until they come to that place. And uh, now we come to the section of the psalm where we're going to see the path by which God is leading his people uh, to that place. And it begins with a surprise. I think one of our problems as scripture readers is that sometimes we know the scripture too well. Now, I mean that sort of in quotes. Um, we are no longer really surprised. We say, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, 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 Joseph. But when you think about it, God, who has made this great promise of providing a place for his people, and then supports that great promise with a we might call a supporting promise to protect his people, 
Then in verse 16 says, and then he summoned a famine. Well, how does famine provide a place? How does famine serve as protection? We should be surprised. And not only does he then talk about a famine, but he talks about Joseph enslaved. That seems the very opposite of protection. That seems the very opposite of provision. And so we come to these, to these fascinating verses, uh, verse 16 through 22 about Joseph, where God is, it seems to me, as I've, I've studied this, giving us a snapshot, a, a, a little picture of the whole character of his salvation throughout all of history. It, it, it's a really marvelous little element of, of Scripture that begins with surprises and surprises that are intended, I think, to draw us into the text and ask the question, what's going on here? Uh, if we're not surprised, we won't slow down enough to really appreciate this text. Uh, we won't pause and say, why does God move from his promises to this picture of suffering in Joseph? What, what does he mean to teach us? How's he, how's he going about this? And in this little picture of summary of, of Joseph's life, uh, we see God's hand, God's way, God's path of salvation uh, for his people. And the first thing that we see here, of course, is the famine and the fetters that God visits on his people and on Joseph. He summons a famine and he sends Joseph ahead as a slave. And what's underscored here is that this is God's doing. Uh, this is the message of scripture over and over again. What happens in history happens according to a divine plan. Uh, this is something that a lot of American Christians today, it seems to me, don't want to think about, don't want to hear about. Uh, they prefer to have a God who is really sorry for your suffering but can't do much about it. Uh, they prefer a God who's sort of a hand wringer or a hugger. That's maybe the picture we need. God the hugger. Uh, a hug is nice, but it really doesn't help. Sorry to the psychiatrists who may feel differently. But anyway, God is more than a hugger. God is in charge. God is directing. God is accomplishing his purpose. He sends the famine. Now that raises certain theological questions, but it doesn't affect at all the fact that's being taught here. God sends the famine, and God sends Joseph into slavery. And Joseph here reminds us in this psalm in particular of a couple of things. He reminds us that God does his work in history through individuals over and over again. Uh, there may be the big social economic factors of famine, but God is accomplishing his purpose through individuals. That's what he does here with Joseph. Later we'll see he does that with Moses and Aaron. Um, that's an emphasis here. God is accomplishing his purpose through individuals whom he is using to accomplish his purpose. And that should be an encouragement for us. We're individuals. And he uses us with all of our strengths and our weaknesses to accomplish his purpose if we're his servants. 
And he offers us Joseph here, who is, it seems, has always seemed to me, one of the most remarkable Christ figures in the Old Testament. I'm always surprised the New Testament doesn't make more of Joseph, which maybe means I've made too much of him. But uh, we'll get the Bible department together and talk about this. But Joseph is a remarkable Christ figure. Uh, He goes down into the pit and he's raised up to glory. Uh, He's one of the few figures in the Old Testament who's presented to us as almost without fault. He's always faithful in his service to the Lord. And, And here he is sent before by God, and being sent before, he's enslaved into a a grim, difficult slavery. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Uh, Here he is, bound, imprisoned, first in a pit by his brothers, then sold into slavery, then in a prison in Egypt, all unfairly. And there he suffers. There he suffers. There he waits. There he shows what Christ shows us and what Christ has told us will be the path we walk as well. First the suffering and then the glory. And so Joseph is a picture of Christ. He's a picture of the church. He's a picture of us as individuals. A slave for God, imprisoned for God, suffering for God. And then in verse 19 we're told, until the time that his word came. The verse is a little ambiguous. And so the translators usually neaten it up. Until the time that his word came. Whose word? Came for what? Came in what way? Well, I think the ESV probably gets it substantially right. Until what he had said came to pass. I think this is looking back to Genesis 37, where Joseph had first been visited by God with this dream in which he saw himself exalted and his brothers bowing down. God had promised. This was the word of God to Joseph, that he would be exalted. But the exact opposite seemed to have happened to him. He seemed instead to have been abased and humiliated. His life, instead of being a success, seemed an utter failure. And here in verse 19, we're told that he was being tested. That he was being tested to see if he believed the word of God. The word of God tested him. Did he believe the word of God? Did he rely on the word of God? Did he live by faith and not by sight? Did he trust what God had said to him? And the picture of Joseph that we have in uh, Genesis and briefly summarized here is that, yes, he always trusted God. He always believed God's word. He believed that God would fulfill what he had promised. And here is the call to us out of Scripture, I believe. Uh, The call to us to trust God's word, to live out of God's word, to depend upon God's word, just as Joseph had done. 
I hesitate to say it, but verse 19 is the center of a chiasm. I can't help it. It's part of the beauty of this passage. It reminds us there is not a word wasted here. And, and we are, we are called to meditate on this with care because it was written with so much care. We'll come back to this matter of chiasm in a minute, but, but here we want to see at the very heart of this section of Psalm 105 is this statement about Joseph was tested to see if he believed God's word and he passed the test. And remember, this is the section of Psalm 105 that is now being written for Israel in exile. Israel is finding itself exactly where Joseph found himself, suffering. It's exactly where the church today finds itself, suffering. And the question is, do we believe God? Do we believe his promises? Do we believe that after the suffering, for those who are in Christ, for those who are sharers in his suffering, that there will be glory. Joseph believed God, and he saw the glory. Verse 20, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. Exactly what Joseph, as a very young man, had seen in this dream. To bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. From famine and fetters through faith, he comes to freedom and flourishing. Now, I worked hard on that. I want you to all be impressed. From famine and fetters through faith, he comes to freedom and flourishing. This is a beautiful picture here. And, and notice how, how intricately this has been done. Um, because when we notice the chiastic structure here, we see why in verse 16, the psalmist begins with famine. It's dischronologized. The famine comes after Joseph is sent. Why begin with the famine? Because in verse 22, we're going to read about Joseph, the powerful ruler, now as the wise teacher. And what's the wisdom that Joseph is able to teach Egypt? Well, there's a lot of wisdom he can teach Egypt, but part of the wisdom is prepare for the coming famine. Prepare for the coming famine. This slave in verse 17 is now the man who has been made lord and ruler in verse 21. And this one who was fettered in verse 18, is now the one who's been released from fetters. And indeed, not only released, but given power to bind others. And this is the picture that God gives to us about our future in Christ. This is not a theocratic vision. This is not uh, a promise that uh, in uh, human history, before Christ returns, we're going to have that kind of authority. But it's a vision of a m- world made right, of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and which the people of God will have judgment given to them. 
They'll rule over the world that God has made. So there's a a beautiful snapshot here of the whole of redemptive history being played out in the life of Joseph to encourage God's people not to lose heart. No matter how great the suffering, God keeps his promises. And when we trust his promises, he will fulfill them and glorify us in the Christ who has been glorified in his resurrection, in his ascension, and one day in his coming again to make all things new. May God always encourage us with that promise. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for your word for the way in which it has been so finely crafted, for the way in which it speaks to your people in every generation, uh, for the way in which it encourages us, particularly in difficult times, and calls us away from ourselves to you and to your purpose and to the assurance that you will fulfill your word. So give us hope in believing. Turn our eyes to Christ. Uh, always remind us that he who once suffered is now glorified and that he has promised to help his people. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.